Hello everybody and welcome to Diminishing Returns, the podcast where three film fans review a movie or series and then pitch own ideas for sequels to those films. Today we're discussing the Despicable Me series in anticipation of the latest installment. We tried to keep stupid accents and silly voices to a minimum, but this podcast does contain spoilers for Despicable Me, Despicable Me 2, Minions, and Planet of the Apes. Enjoy! Be do banana. <laughs> diminishing returns. <laughs> Hello. We're, we're doing. Some oh, stuff I thought we were going to do the whole thing in minion speak. I don't I know how they talk was... enough. Bubba dubba. Jibba, jabba, jubba, jubba, Spanish si, and Italian. Caprende. Banana. Banana. Oh, oh. Should we do the whole episode like this? <laughs> no. Uh, so today we are taking a break from our, our usual blockbuster films, I guess, to do the <laughs> Despicable Me. We're doing this arty, arthouse independent films. Yeah, yeah. yeah. These billion <laughs> dollar films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're taking a pause from blockbuster. We're doing an animated film. <laughs> Which we've done before. We haven't done one of those since uh, Ghost in the Shell, and we haven't done a popular one since Final Nemo. So, so, Frozen. Uh, oh, shit. All right. Uh, <laughs> we're doing a lowbrow animated film, <laughs> which is probably the first time we've we've done that. So, um, Despicable Me, Minions, all that shit. Uh, so yeah, I'm Sol. With me are the the two you've just been hearing chiming in and doing Minions impressions. The one doing impressions was uh, Calvin. Hello, banana. <laughs> and the one the one who doesn't do impressions because he's. He's just too, too much of a grumpy grew. Is uh, Alan? <laughs> Hello, banana. <laughs> <laughs> so it's me, grew. <laughs> I think of that clip from Ellen. <laughs> uh, isn't Steve Carell the best? <laughs> I love Do you like so. him? Do you like him as Oh, Gru? I love Steve Carell. Oh, as Gru. Oh, I, like, mm. I like Steve Carell. I don't really think he's a great voice actor. Yeah, he's not. I, I, actually, funnily enough, I, when I watched these, I thought it was a really good performance. Well, I thought he's got, a, he's got a really sort of silly character voice, but it works. Mm. It's He was good good acting, you know, in, the, in what uh, is required of a children's animated films. Well, if, if we're going to jump right in to uh, voice acting, I, I'd like to bring up the fact that um, these films are quite distinct from the the majority of uh, animated kids' fare that's made these days because of something that I think we touched on in the Finding Nemo episode way back when, but so many of the actors, big-name actors doing voices in these films, like, put on a voice and adopt a persona and actually do some, like, traditional cartoon voice acting, which is quite mm-hmm. unusual. Like, DreamWorks never really do that. I think Sh- mm. Jack Black and Shark Tale, I pointed out last time, was the, the one instance I can think of of it being done in the past. And, yeah, in this film, you've got Steve Carell doing a, a silly voice as Gru. You've got, you know, Steve Coogan as various people just going back to his voiceover days. You've got 
Kristen Wiig doing a variety of people with slight voices put on. All the villains are, are people doing a voice. It's mm-hmm. it's quite unusual for. The I type mean, I'm, of I'm kind of with you until we get Sandra Bullock in Minions. I mean, we'll we'll get Russell there. Russell we'll Brand, there, but uh... playing an old man. Ugh, I can't stand. It. I thought Russell Brand was all right. In this I, as I mean, well. no, but it was terrible. In terms of no, even if you didn't like him, he was doing a voice. Yeah, well, he was doing it, but yeah, but it wasn't good. I mean, I yeah, I Why agree. Not? It's it's. Yeah, it's sound, like Russell was, Brand sounds like a young like. man doing an old man's voice in that role. Yeah, it that, should have been. It should have sounded older, but I, I mean, yeah, but it, it just from a creative point of view, it's odd that they hired people to John Hamm even in Minions. He was doing like a full blown character oh, yeah. in voice. It's just, it's just yeah, he odd was that. That's... It, oh yeah, it was. Um, it was uh, Benjamin Bratt for me because oh. I I didn't even realize it was him until I looked at the uh, credits afterwards. Because he was, uh, that was a very much a character voice that mm-hmm. I've never heard him do before. So w- this franchise has sort of sprung up out of nowhere relatively quickly. Like in the past mm. seven years, like what, we're at film four in the franchise in seven years. And yeah. one of the films made over a billion dollars and one made 900 million. It's, it's uh, not just the franchise, it's the, the studio behind it. Illumination, are they called? Yes. Illumination Studios? I mean, Despicable Me, I think, was their first feature. Is that right? I believe so, yeah. F- yeah, yeah. And they're, they're a full-blown, you know, competitor to DreamWorks and Pixar and all of those guys now. They're, they're one of the big animation studios. Uh, they, they released Sing last year, which I haven't seen, but no, they're branching don't. out a, a little bit. I think they're mm. quite mm. financially successful, if nothing else. And and are we all agreed that a part of that is because I, I'm not sure if Gru is the reason it's the minions themselves, right? Well, like they are yeah. the breakout stars of this whole franchise. In terms of merchandising, they are. Yeah. I don't really mm. understand the minions because they're they're like what, <sighs> like y- you see them everywhere now. <laughs> like you'll see yes. you'll you'll see a car parked with a a minion like bobblehead in it and a minion air freshener and a minion like tire flap or whatever, and. Like, do you think the people driving that car, for example, even though that like they're from Despicable Me, do you think they're aware mm. of what these characters are to begin with, or do you think it's just kind of like Hello Kitty and people just like the uh, look of these things? Maybe to really a knowing? point, but most people, most of these people will have kids, and that's why they're aware of it, you know. Yeah. And so they've got the kids, got the lunchbox, and the uh, whatever else kids have. I bet you, if you asked a load of parents, I, I bet you a lot of them would think that the Minions movie was the start of it all, and wouldn't yeah. even know that Despicable Me was like anything to do with anything. But I mean, even like you know, forty-year-old people I have on my Facebook, they you know when they post their crap memes, yeah. misattributing quotes to <laughs> Elvis when it's actually Gandhi or something like that, and it's got like it's got a minion next to it. It doesn't have Gru or Steve Carell. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, can, can we address that? Because I think I've seen Despicable Me years ago, but I watched them all this this, this last week, mm. uh, and including the Minions one. And I, so I wasn't really that familiar with what the Minions were. Mm. Like from my memory, they were the like the Umpalumpas for the thing, right? So mm. I didn't really get the whole put quotes on a picture of a minion thing. And now I've watched them. I really don't understand it at all. <laughs> <laughs> I just wondered if you could explain it to me. <laughs> I don't think anyone understands it. I've 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 read articles that have like tried to dig to the bottom of this and like done real in-depth research into like internet history and 
none of them it baffles everyone basically all they can find is there was some quote minion image a while ago posted to a page and i don't know people just started doing it and just like it's just this weird thing that took off and for whatever reason something about the minions i suppose they're very visually striking and inoffensive um at least until you get sick of seeing them everywhere like that that's the thing like i really do feel like the minions have become an entity of their own at this point like far Mm -hmm. far beyond what the uh despicable me franchise is it's it's this separate thing of just minions minions on everything minions on shampoo (laughs) minions on breakfast cereal minions on mugs minions on Minions on the moon. Minions on the moon. Um, how do we want to do this? Um, should we start with Despicable Me and talk about that in Despicable Me Two before we get to Minions? Or yeah, yeah, I think we'll stick with them chronologically. Okay, because yeah. the the Minions in the first film are really just comedy relief. They like Alan said, they're the umpalumpers of this um, supervillains lair, and they pop in every now and then for a bit of slapstick comedy or whatever. Mm. Um, but that's kind of it. But the main story is about Gru, who's a supervillain, and um, he wants to steal the moon, but it's more to moon. prove that he's like the world's greatest villain or something. It's it's more of a weird emotional stake than a than a literal MacGuffin stake. But he gets these uh, three girls dropped on his doorstep uh, and he has to look after them. Three. Well, no, he, he goes out and, and gets them. Does he? he, he oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like he's, yeah, he's like he didn't he, inherit he sees, them, and then he has to uh, learn. He sees he, the value. He, he, he in wants there to and, use them for his nefarious schemes, yeah. and then sort of falls in love because uh, because his rival has got some like technology that he wants, and he can't go to this guy's house without getting shot on like approaching it. But these girls who sell uh, Girl Scout cookies can go up to his door and he buys cookies mm. off them, so he sees it as like an inn. So. And I will say that's uh. it's it's a great concept. It's it's so simple. Yeah, and it's and that's such a great like cartoon concept. Like oh, I'm a villain. I can't get into this place, but the little girls can because they're mm. selling cookies, and so I need to you know uh, adopt them. It's it's I think it's a really great concept. I think it works nicely, and I must admit when I was watching these films. It was such a relief. Like we just watched, I just watched all the Transformers films. Uh, what was before that? All the Pirates yeah. of the Caribbean films. Like, it was so good to watch a, a ninety-minute film that was really <laughs> easy agree. to watch, just nice and simple, <laughs> funny, yeah. entertaining. Yeah. Oh man, it was. It's been so good. <laughs> that may have lifted my opinion of these films in general. Well, I mean, you know what, I. I'm just going to come out and say it. Like I really quite like the first Despicable Me. I I think it's a great little um, animated film. It, it it doesn't reinvent the wheel, but it it does what it sets out to do very well. It's you know just fun, entertaining. Um, there's enough originality about it. There's some nice uh, points where it actually does try and 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 sort of step beyond what it could have just coasted on, for example, with what we were talking about with actors actually putting on weird voices, or some of the character design actually being interesting, the fact that you are rooting for the villain, and it it does kind of embrace that more than a lot of uh, similar films, such as Maleficent, we've complained about in the past, not 
you know, just making the the bad guy a good guy. And obviously Gru very much becomes a good guy in the course of the film, but it feels like a much more um, less contrived means of doing so. It just feels like... And at the end, it's not like he outright becomes a good guy. He's just kind of a... He's more morally ambiguous, I suppose, than you'd normally get in this sort of film. I guess that's what I'm getting at. He's he's mm. nice to the kids. No, I know what you mean. Yeah, it wasn't like the, after them, the but... point of the journey wasn't that he becomes good and learns the error of his ways. Yeah. In fact, he doesn't. He just fails at what he's trying to do. But um, because it's, that's because the the heart of the of the story, the emotional storyline, is him kind of finding this other. Uh, part of his life that yeah. he can uh, feel proud about, or or uh, other avenues to feel love and affection, and uh, ad- to admoni- um, to uh, vindicate his life, rather mm. than this villainy. And so he kind of turns away from that because he doesn't need it anymore. Rather yeah. than some, mo- there's no real, there's no moral questions ever really posed in this film. Yeah, <laughs> which, like you say, is kind of it's quite nice just to keep that a bit different to how you mm. normally expect it to play. Should we should we talk about the cast a bit then? So obviously Steve Carell is the voice of Gru. Um, so I mean, yeah, how how do we feel he he does? Because he is doing this kind of Dexter's labor uh, this sort of Dexter's laboratory kind of voice for for the film, which I could see being quite grating <laughs> for a lot of people. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was for me. Um, I liked it. I I was not a fan. I um, think. I I think you can tell Steve Carell is like having a really good time, <laughs> and I think that does inject something into the proceedings. Like certainly, I'd say there's more about his performance here than in a lot of other animated stuff that he's done. Over the Hedge, for example, he he never really has much of a chance to, um, I don't know, just be Steve Carell, <laughs> um, and so. I think once you get past the fact that it is a bit weird and grating for him to be doing this silly accent, um, not to mention, I don't know, maybe how jarring it is for it to not be like an American protagonist amongst all these other American characters. Um, Mm. I don't know. Um, Once you get over that, I, I think there is a lot of... Like, at the end of the day, I do think Steve Carell is a phenomenally talented actor, and I do think there's oh, yeah. a lot of subtlety and nuance to his actual performance beyond the voice itself. Um, I do think perhaps maybe the film would have benefited from casting someone else in the role, but I think he does a good job and kind of sells it regardless of that. Um, I think it's straight straight up a great performance. I think it's does exactly what it needs to do. I think there's a lot of emotion in what he's doing, the performance, where it needs to be. Uh, I think it's, it's spot on. I don't know what, what more you could want, really. I find it grating, and I think it's it's just too obviously someone doing a silly voice. It doesn't feel yeah. natural. It feels like someone is doing a silly voice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you're getting at. Yeah. And, and, I mean, that is that is one of the problems that I have with the film's sort of fairly consistently every now and then a character will pop up so we mentioned russell brand before he just really does stick out because again it doesn't sound like a real voice it sounds like someone putting on a voice that it doesn't sound like a voice that would come from a man of that size or that guy's vocal cords and it just it's very jarring Mm. 
Mm. Yeah, and uh, I think um, you can tell. I think Steve Carell's having fun with it. I think, oh, and he, I think he likes the character. And the, I, I, I don't know what the process behind the scenes was, but it, how much freedom they gave to him. Mm. But, it, but like you say about the voice, it feels like he's come in with that voice. And it's like Mike Myers doing Shrek. Yeah, I was just like, about to point to Okay, we, we'll, we'll go with that. Cool, Steve, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I don't think anyone pitched it to him as, oh yeah, it'd be like a kind of vaguely Eastern European kind of well, voice. <laughs> I bet he was called Gru, and he was like, they said to him, like, he's a mad scientist or something. Um, it strikes me and as I, a kind I of bet he just, a Dracula-esque kind but of... But that's it, I bet he that's looked that's at kind some of concept art of this pointed, you know villain character and just did a stupid voice and stuck with it i mean got a great soundtrack as well i i I don't think that can be um undersold i mean despicable me too had the farrell williams song happy which is like nominated for an oscar and they've got that i think they've got a really well choreographed um easy you know mass appeal soundtrack that that helps a lot tell you what minions had a great soundtrack I was really yeah, struck yeah. by that. That that was full of great tracks from uh, mm. the. I mean, that, it's that, sort of period um, music, but yeah. That Farrell Williams song, uh, "Happy." Yeah. Like I remember that being all over the place when it was released. I didn't know it was. It wasn't done for I the film. It kind of took on a life after the mm. film for whatever reason. Well, that's but I say I don't. I didn't realize that it had been made for this film. Mm. Um, so obviously, when I was watching that scene, and it was like, oh, this. This music fits perfectly for this scene. This is really good scene. And then I realised that Pharrell Williams had done the music for them all, and like it was obviously all original stuff. Mm. And um, I, and it is. That's a great little song. That. And oh yeah, yeah it's I, think a brilliant song. I think you're right. Having that kind of original music by you know this guy who's obviously a very talented uh, writer really lifts it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Rather than yeah, just having stock music that you're dropping in, or uh, yeah, music with personality. Yeah. So um, how do we feel about the second one in relation to the first? Sort of said where we we all quite like the first one. Um, I think the second one is sort of just just everything wrong with sequels. It's just more of the same and mm. just boring. And I I it, do agree, but at the same time, I, I find I just found it really watchable and simple. And I mean, it's it not. Was, yeah, it's, it's, like, it's not. Yeah, like and a, I, so it was. It was less focused. It had less of a sort of story to carry it through. Well, it's, it's it partly needed a, just needed the, a proper villain. That's what I mean. It's partly they just couldn't really get away with doing the same. Like they had to evolve it to a degree to make it work, and therefore they go down this kind of oh, Gru's like a James Bond character now. He's recruited to the this you know team to help out I, I don't know it's just kind of and minion fatigue had really started to kick in by the time i saw this one as well, well. I didn't actually when i into... i watched the first one and i thought oh, i like the minions it's a nice concept they've got a lot of character yeah it works i and i put in my notes let's see how quickly these get annoying and to be yeah. honest with you, I got through it. I was fine with them. I watched the Minion movie as well. It's, and it's I, not, I was, it's I was not the film's fault. It's the fact that they're just like all over Facebook being like. Well, I, sassy I don't know if I've, I'm that. Having a cup of coffee first thing in the morning and stuff like that. I don't know if I'm as uh, affected by that in my life as you are, apparently. I, I, I keep those people away. I am. They really irritate you can't, me. You can't go into a shop without being. Affronted by just 
bombarded with minions and nonsense just everywhere you go. You go to the cinema to see other films, there's minions everywhere, and and all the fucking promo is, like, generally not to the same standard as, as the films as well. It's all, oh, God, mm. annoy me. You mentioned Benjamin Bratt earlier, Alan. Yeah. Uh, Benjamin Bratt is not someone who I associate with being a sort of, you know, a, a lively, fun character. character. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, exactly. he, he's always he's always kind of bland. Like I probably best know him from Catwoman, where he's um, Halle Berry's uh, sort of man to save in that film. Um, he always pops up in these very bland sort of thriller action films. Well, I've, um, I've seen him do comedy. Who he is? I've seen him do comedy where he's like um, a little bit sort of silly, but he's always like the not the straight man exactly, but he's not knowingly comedic, you know? He's kind yeah. of the naive one or the silly one. Like like yeah. in Demolition Man, for example, he's in that. He's in Miss Congeniality. Oh, of course the, he is. Uh, yeah, as yeah. the uh, kind of the sexy one in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, his character in here, I, I thought was really fun and um, yeah, great. Yeah, I, I, like I say, I had no idea it was him. But the, my problem with that character is that it's a big character, great, but we need to see him that he is the villain right at the beginning and then we can have him as mm. the villain, someone to face off against. That's what the film was really missing. Because mm. they're trying to find the villain, it's lost, It's got no nemesis, it's got no mm. kind of push. Mm. So, yeah, that sort of felt missing for me in the script. Do you know that um, Al Pacino was originally the actor for this and then he left due to creative differences? Wouldn't you just love to know what those creative differences were? Yeah, especially to say they clearly gave the other actors so much freedom to do what they wanted. Yeah. That is quite <laughs> remarkable. I would love to know what he wanted out of the role <laughs> that made them part ways. <laughs> yeah. And this is Steve Coogan is in the second one first, isn't he? He's yeah, not in the first yeah. one, but he's yeah. Because he comes back for in for the Minions film, but different um different roles, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, and he's all over the trailer yeah. for the third one as well. Yeah. And Ken Yong came back from the first. It, it is quite nice how they keep bringing back the mm. same voice actors. I guess they must love working. And with that's them. it. I, I, uh, that's part of what I was talking about before with how you get the same actors playing several people in most of the films as well. But also they they come back all these supporting people who weren't even playing a a specific character that carries over. Like like they brought Kristen mm. Wiig back to play a completely mm. new character in the second film and just stuff like that. Yeah. Is, well. Like you say, that first film kind of came out of nowhere. Was it done on the cheap in terms of were they perhaps? I think so. Uh, I think, I think you know. As, in as, which case, they might, it might have been a sort of film goes. Yeah, relatively speaking. But yeah, I think I mean, when, you was, look, when you look at their budgets, they're around seventy million dollars ish. Um, and if you looked at like a DreamWorks film or a Disney film, they'd be a hundred plus yeah. more than likely. Mm. Yeah, and, exactly. And like say, so the first one was Illumination Entertainment, Illumination Studios, whatever they're called. I think that was their debut feature films so yeah they obviously yeah, had a lot riding on it as a studio that had been founded mm. and was you know hoping to take off and which is yeah maybe maybe there was an element of look hey you did as you did right by us we've got a much bigger budget now we can like pay you four times as much for a couple of days in the studio come and come and get it done. maybe but even then there's a lot of people introduced in the second one which was no doubt a much bigger affair um who stick around for the minions movie and seemingly the third one so mm. i don't know I, I think it's part partly just probably you know they're just embracing kind of cartoons and and i mean that's something that really struck me with the 
the Minion movie, not to get too ahead of ourselves, was just how much it felt like a like a cartoon, more than like animated film, like just yeah. you know, the kind of stuff you watch on Saturday morning as a kid growing up, but but yeah, uh, back to the second one. I mean, I'm not so sure how much there is to, well, for me, left to say about it. It's just a classic case of diminishing returns. It's yeah. the same yeah. sort of thing, but not as good. It just feels a bit uh, tired. It just Most of the humour feels very laboured in the second one to me, and just a bit more, mm-hmm. like, the whole thing's pandering to... Just less of a sincere product. The first one feels like, you know, people having a laugh and making something... It feels more like they're making something for themselves in a lot of ways. Mm. I think more than a lot of these films do, generally. And and I think a lot of that's gone with the second one. It just feels like much more of a product. I mean, I, I, when I watched them, I was going to make notes, and I just found myself not making any notes. Um, and it wasn't because there was nothing to kind of comment on. It was just... It just passed so easily, and it was just, and I didn't really feel the need to drag anything out of it. It was just what it was. But yeah, they they consciously decided to um, capitalize on the fact that everyone knows the minions and maybe doesn't know Despicable Me that well with the, the mm. follow up film, and we got the well just spin-off. before oh, okay just before we go on to it, there is something I want to raise about Despicable Me films, and this was my main kind of bugbear with them, which is you're gonna see me repeating things here that I've said about Disney, for example, but the the message of the film, which in that first film, that message is the most important thing you can do with your life is have kids. Yeah. Because Gru is a failure. He's a bad person until he has kids. His mother isn't proud of him until he has kids. He's proud of him because he's got kids, um, not for anything he's actually done. And it gives him, it gives his life meaning, it gives his life purpose. Yeah. And I, I didn't like that. Yeah, I did, I did pick <laughs> up on that. I think, I think you can read it like you know, it's it's, you can read it as being about just having other people in your life and and you know loving other people and mm. that sort of thing. I don't think you have to read it as directly having children, but I do know what you mean, and I, I was aware of that when I watched it, uh, or rewatched it rather. And then yeah, and then the second one is about okay, you need to have, you need to be in love, you need to have. Uh, this the uh, proper relationship. You need to get married. Uh, those kids need a mother. Like it's it's all very much sort of maintaining this. Hey, look, this is the way we do everything. This is how what society says you should do. Uh, be the good guy. Get a normal job. Raise your kids right. You've got responsibilities now. Get a wife. <laughs> I just. It doesn't sit well with me. <laughs> and yet you like the films anyway. Terms. I think that's quite, yeah, I think that's I quite a statement, though, to say that you might not necessarily agree with the morals of it. But yeah. um, well, that's yeah, it, because really obviously I don't see anything wrong with having kids. I do. Well, maybe. But in this, yeah, in this sense, in this sense, in this sort of wholesome Americana sense, it's, it's fine. And so it mm. works as a plot, and it's kind of like, and as an emotional storyline, someone finding love is, is it works. Yeah, and, and, and um, one thing yeah, I will say I, I, is, that... I just feel like this is really reinforcing yeah. these cultural norms. No, you're right. But one one thing I will say is that the idea that you have to have kids to give your life meaning is one thing, but it is pretty apparent that if you do have kids, it gives meaning to your otherwise mm-hmm. worthless life. I, I know a lot of people who've. Like, <laughs> got nothing going on in their lives and then they have a kid and suddenly it's like, oh, my kid, oh, it's everything to me. Well, that's why people have kids. Yeah, so it's believable (laughs) that 
you know, when you give up on your own life, you have kids. Happy by having kids in that way. It's it's a it's not an unbelievable arc for his character, and certainly in the first film. Um, and those are the kinds of parents that share minion memes oh, on God. Facebook. That's who they <laughs> yes, are. They are. Yeah. Okay, so the the minions found cultural position uh, and acceptance in the world, mm. and so spin-off movie was the answer. Yeah. Yeah. And and I. <sighs> I remember when this came out, and I was just sick of the minions at this point. They annoyed me so much, and it's not their fault. It's just they're they're on everything, and <laughs> and and then reviews weren't great, so I didn't. I just didn't bother with it. Um, mm. So I watched it like last night or the night before for this record, and I I think I'm gonna have quite a controversial opinion here because I actually really liked it, <laughs> and I feel dirty <laughs> saying that. But no, I know I I went into it. I was desperate to hate it. Yeah. And I I didn't hate it. I I I I didn't even did I even dislike it? I don't know if I liked it. I didn't I didn't like it. I didn't dislike it. It's just it's there. It it, yeah. it, it exists. I laughed once. <laughs> like it was this like I was alluding to before. It felt like a really high quality Saturday morning cartoon and just this yeah, breezy right? bit of this breezy That's bit of exactly fun. It. But with like I really clicked with the sense of humour. There was some really, like, dark edges to the humour in the film that I wasn't expecting. Stuff like when that that scientist voiced by Steve yes. Coogan kills his past self and then they all just vanish and there's just a man's yeah. corpse <laughs> left on the floor. Like, it, it, stuff like that I thought was brilliant. And, and there's this, you know, they go to London and, it, again, it, it was one of these things where it just ticked so many boxes for me. You had this minion, be- you know, becoming a giant kaiju monster stomping oh, yeah, through the streets like that, of London you? at the end. <laughs> you had Steve Coogan playing a, a mad old cockney! Oh! Like, <laughs> just, you, you, had, you had so much stuff there that just did it for me. And I, the soundtrack for this one really did stand out as being oh, surprisingly, yes. like, like, loads of songs I love, but then songs I didn't even know before that I was like, oh, what's this? Um... I, I thought really the like I thought the, the direction uh, the score itself yeah, has a nice yeah. you know spy sixties yeah. vibe to it. But also the the animation and the direction as well went far above what I would expect from this sort of well, film. I, there were... I made a note that the, the animation seemed much more realistic than like this very cartoony of the Despicable mm. Me world. This would seem much more like in terms of not necessarily the character designs, but in terms of the background mm. and all that, it felt so much more just yeah realistic. I Did mean, that I, come I just uh, to you. I mean, I'm not an animation expert, really. Um, I would guess that's to do with the budget, because mm. they'll have had more people working on rendering the background that would otherwise be kind of, you know, made yeah, a bit yeah. blurry and glossed over. But I don't know, just everything about it, like the opening sequence where you see these little, you know, fish water things like clinging onto a a bigger nasty fish and I loved all the I wish the whole film had been them through time with Jeffrey Rush narrating it to be honest. That whole opening montage of them you know with what, Count though, Dracula and the the T Rex. I would have liked that um I would have liked the opening without a narration though. Yes, yes I, I agree I do agree. Much better. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I was really looking forward to this as like uh, I was kind of looking forward to okay it's a minions thing so I was thinking like okay well maybe it's going to be like a modern day silent movie mm-hmm. and there'll be sound effects I did, and everything yeah, but for the there first, won't be dialogue for the first ten minutes or so I was thinking oh are they actually fully going to embrace that hmm interesting but 
Mm. Sadly, they kind of and then they, they make don't. it much more conventional. But to be honest, I based on the trailer that I saw, however many times at the cinema back in the day, like I I thought it was going to be far less true to that than it was. Like I, it was surprising how much of just like you say silent movie kind of stuff there was in the film for me. Like the, mm. it takes a good like half hour at least for there to be a, a character who kind of consistently talks and brings I you guess it's it. that that uh, that family that they meet the uh, ones voiced yeah. by Michael Keaton Alice and Janie the criminal family they're sort of the first proper talky characters that they meet yeah. who I really loved by the way I loved that yeah. whole detour with them and the robbing a thing but, yeah, um, but when they eventually meet because I guess the star voice of the film is Sandra Bullock yeah. and I think she's absolutely terrible probably one of the worst voice performances I think I've ever heard in a Really? Big theatrical animated. Yeah, I wouldn't go that I, think far. I mean, it's very sort of bland, just Sandra Bullock voice. But I don't know if the performance. How do you feel about her as an actor, just in general? I I like her. Okay. I like her a lot. I like Miss Congeniality, but her voice is so um, kind of flat, and it doesn't have much variation in it. Uh, and and she can't do a voice. She's just doing her voice, and I don't think it matches with that character design. It's a complete failure in all regards for me. I, I do understand what you're saying. I don't think it bothered me. As That's much. the sort of thing that normally really does click with me and, and wind me up, and I, I'm very aware of it. And I didn't really have too much of an issue with it in this film. And there were points where I did pick up on the fact that her character was very, like, animated and very, like, emotive physically mm. when she was talking. And I did sort of think, yeah. like, right, she's obviously not moving that much in the recording booth, so it feels a bit odd that her character's so... Yeah. That the animators have gone to such um, lengths to kind of energise this character. But for the most part, I thought I thought her voice sat okay with the character. I, I thought her performance was okay. I don't think she brought anything to the role, particularly, but she didn't offend me in any real way. I don't think it helps that everyone else is so good. Like, John Hamm That's is brilliant. very true, yeah. yeah. Alison Janey, yeah. Uh, Steve Carell. Yeah, well, they're, and, all, they're and, all really good. You know, let's not forget um, Pierre Coffin, however you pronounce it, the, the director who voices the vast majority of the minions themselves. I mean, hmm. he, he gives a I mean, it's just noise, but he gives a pretty good, like, performance of just noise, to be honest. There's, a, you know, a lot of um, variation within that. Interestingly enough, I watched the first two films. I had the subtitles on when I was watching them. And um, in the first film... <laughs> You're hearing starting to go. <laughs> You're reaching that age. In the, in the first film, when they're talking, it says they speak gibberish. It, so it speaks gibberish, uh, grunting noise, groaning noise. In the second film, it says they speak they speak minionese. Um, so by the second film, it had been established, and and when they talk more, they do start pulling certain words in. There's, there's definitely Italian in there. There's Spanish. There's mm. some Indonesian. Yeah, and and words that sort of sound enough like something that you get the impression of what's going on. They they did put more life into those words, um, which like you say, it might have been better if. Yeah, it was played more like a silent thing or, or an incomprehensible thing. I know that they, they go to great lengths in the first like half an hour or so to make it so that these the main three minions that we follow, Kevin, Bob, and uh, Stuart, they've all got their own sort of personality, um, yeah. but then it kind of disappears as the film goes on, and I just don't really, like... Stuart is... Um, 
Stuart the main... No, Stuart's the musical one. He's got a little guitar and you get the sense that he wants to be a big star and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, another one's a bit incompetent. I want to say Bob is the incompetent one. Yeah, but he, And Kevin is like the leader like he's, who... He's supposed to be like childlike, isn't quest. he? He's more naive. Yeah, yeah. And and at first I was like, okay, well, maybe this is going to lead to some interesting stuff later on. It doesn't really. It doesn't... I thought well, they were just, doing that It just because... gave them enough personality to so you could distinguish between them and they're forming different actions. But yeah, it wasn't plot related, really, I, was it? Yeah. I must say, I, I did prefer the first like 15 minutes of the film when it was kind of like there's just a hundred minions on screen at any given time and you're just watching them like like Lemmings, the old uh, video game almost. <laughs> it, you know, some mm. of them were just dying, as far as you could tell, just like off screen falling into chasms and stuff. And yeah. I just, I like that. I like that the film was just so, just kind of glib and, and you know, not not scared to do that. Like I say, it, it had a surprisingly dark edge to it in some ways. And I just didn't think the slapstick was very good. Like, I've seen much better slapsticking in short animation and yeah, Pixar I mean, films. I, and e- even the even the other Despicable Me films, I was I, mean, I left once, and I'm not proud of it. And it's when the minions are getting off the tube on the underground oh, thing. Mind and... the gap. Mind the gap. Mind the yeah. gap. <laughs> and then one of the minions goes, mind the gap. Uh, like, it, it really, that really made me smile. That, that scene, actually, funnily enough, that scene reminded me of when you go on the tube and there's a load of French 14-year-olds on like a, a school trip and you're saying, oh, fucking hell, get to another carriage, Jesus Christ. I, I, uh, I don't think I laughed at any of the slapstick, but I did laugh out loud a few times, which is more than I'd get from your average film like this. I, I thought that there were jokes in here that were really funny. They just weren't the slapstick. Like I say, stuff like um, Steve Coogan's scientist character killing himself by mistake, I found really quite funny. I, I laughed when they stole a, 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 a flower wreath from a funeral. <laughs> Uh, later <laughs> on, and, and, and like that <laughs> said, like sorry for your loss, and they crossed out for your loss, so they could give the flowers to apologize. It's just stuff like that. I found you know really quite amusing, and and it, I agree. The slapstick was pretty bog standard, but um, there was other stuff in there that worked for me. And there's something I'd like to ask, actually, just out of interest. So. This notion that whoever like steals the crown is like the new <laughs> the new king or queen. What where's that come from? Cuz that's that's Johnny English as well. Oh, I had such I have that in my notes. I was just like this turns into Johnny English when it's at the coronation and the minions are coming in from above. Like I was like, "Oh my god, this is just Johnny English now." And the music was sort of similar. Yeah. But that's obviously uh. not true. So where does that like come from? <laughs> Cuz I don't know. I'm assuming I'm assuming there's like a myth of some kind that that stems from. I, I don't know. It's I I did like that there's just the um the fictional sword from uh, the sword and the stone just in the middle of London and that's just it's real just sword yeah. the, that's just all a real big sword and stone. <laughs> I, I wasn't a huge fan of that it, it really annoyed me initially but then when it like became a huge factor in the plot and there were just people on the news like oh yeah you know that myth that isn't true well apparently uh, someone's just like done something with it like I, I, it, it just <laughs> Again, it kind of just clicked with my sense of humour, how they kind of hand-waved it. And 
Well, they, um, it's how they get the minions into Buckingham Palace, isn't it? Because yeah. he, it's because he pulls the sword from the stone that he gets made uh, king. <laughs> yeah. And then they give the uh, monarchy to Scarlet. Which, which does um, bring me up to, uh, to follow up the complaints I made about Despicable Me. Um, this film, this film's all about not questioning your place in life, your station. Like the minions are made, they're made to serve. That's their their purpose. If they're not doing it, they can't even function. They get so depressed. And then he, even when Scarlet, the bad guy, turns on them, they they're trying to make it up to her, and they're trying to give everything to her. The only the only time they actually fight back is when she literally tries to kill them. Um, and then even when they succeed at the end, they just find, immediately find a new master and, and follow them. And I didn't like that either. I thought it should have been about like a minion breaking out from the group or something. I say, like, oh, I'm not just a little yellow thing. It's like a civil rights movie. That's what it should be. Um, I know, I know what you're saying, and I kind of agree with you. But on the other hand, what you just said was exactly what I was expecting, and that seems like <laughs> such an obvious way to take yeah. the film. <laughs> so I kind of liked that it embraced its darker edges that I've already like alluded to and mm. did just have no these are just a a weird species of like subservient almost like parasitic like symbiote creatures that rely on others to to get by and I, I don't know I, I was quite pleased they didn't go down that route just because like I say it seemed like such an obvious that's what you do for the minion spin-off the minions learn to you know they, they unionize and rise up and and mm. uh I mean, what about um, if they'd had it where, like, a film about with one minion, and then right at the end, he, like, he he speaks, and like properly, and then in the sequel, they start a war for the planet. I'd enjoy that. Yeah, that would be very good. Planet of the Minions. <laughs> I would. I would like that a lot. Should we project forward to the the third one a little bit? Mm, yes, where Steve Carell voices an extra character, Groot's uh, brother, yeah. from what I understand from the trailer. Yeah, and um, very weird addition to the cast, this one, Trey Parker. Oh, I knew you'd, you'd uh, really like that. <laughs> it's uh. just weird. It's the, the, Trey Parker, for those of you who don't know, he's you know the, the driving force behind South Park. Um him and Matt Stone are, are kind of the two behind it, but he's very much the guy behind it. Matt Stone's more of a a supporting sidekick. <laughs> um, he's never really been involved in a project outside of his own creations before. I think he popped up in a low-budget trauma horror movie at some point, which was more of just like, he probably owed them a favour because they put Cannibal the Musical out on DVD or whatever. But... Um, yeah, it, it's it's just really, really odd that he's in this film. And all I can think of, well, I, I assume it's because he's got a daughter who's, like, a big fan ah. of the franchise. And he's... Of course. I assume it's that yeah. classic doing it so you can take your kid to see it and be like, that's, you know, daddy in that role or whatever. But That wouldn't surprise me. But, I, I mean, I think he's a great voice actor. I'm well, he is. Surprised that's surprised he doesn't do more work. Uh, I guess it's by his own. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. He, he is. He's a very good voice actor, and he seems to have pulled a completely like new voice out of the bag for this role, based on the few words he has. It's not like anyone who watches South Park will know that every other 
you know, incidental role, just kind of talks like this, and and they all <laughs> sound pretty much the same because it's Trey Parker or Matt Stone just doing a, a a silly voice. Oh, some of them talk a bit like this, um, and mm-hmm. and this one in Despicable Me just I don't know it sounds like he's just been saving a voice to pull out at some point. That's I don't know. I think it might just be his normal speaking voice, to be honest. <laughs> Would explain it, but... Uh... But, you know, I'm talking about the performance as well as the voice, yeah, I think. Yeah. To perf- I think it's one thing to have a good voice, it's another thing to actually be able to oh, act absolutely. with it. And I think he really does act with it. Yeah, yeah, he Unlike does. Sandra Bullock. <laughs> so, sorry, I'll, I'll lay off. I... Yeah, when, when we get to our Miss Congeniality um, <laughs> episodes, which are coming never... Uh, <laughs> talk nice things about her then so <laughs> that that was that what now do, do we do some pictures or something or? yeah shall we why not let's get right to it okay well uh soul why don't you go first okay um all right so it's called despicable us my pitch ah yeah. it's a, a live action film so steve carell and Kristen wig are, are doing like press junkets for despicable me 3 just the uh, the tired old interviews, answering the same old questions again and again. Uh, the minions keep coming up, and Steve smiles and he answers politely, but um, about how great it is that they've struck a chord with the public. But he's he's holding back a grimace. <laughs> he he just doesn't quite get it. Um, he, he's actually a bit annoyed that the things have far surpassed Gru's popularity to the point that most people probably don't even realize that they originate from the films that he you know helped originate and bring to life in the first place uh but you know regardless mm. he's happy that his films are so successful even if the uh cheap tacky way that the minions are just slapped on everything starting to like eat away at him a bit so uh he makes his way to the airport uh he's being sent to do another interview in character as grew on the saturday <laughs> night live so he's going to go off to new york um and his his PA has a, a personal emergency, so uh, they can't come with him. But you know, Steve Carell's like, but is is hmm? is personal emergency a euphemism? No, for an orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that a is that a phrase? I don't know. It is now <laughs> personal crisis. <laughs> um. No, his PA's, his PA's got a, a problem. They can't go with him. But Steve Carell's a good guy. He's a good bloke. So he's like, yeah, that's fine. Don't worry. You know, take take some time if you need it. I'll, I'll handle myself. It's all right. I can get my own lunch. No, that's a euphemism. I can get my own lunch. Oh, no, I can handle it. Both? <laughs> well, depends what he has for lunch. <laughs> anyway, in, in the airport... Uh, he's he's irked by all these minions he's encountering. You know, there's someone in like a minion costume promoting like subway sandwiches or something, and they're they're just on everything in the duty free <laughs> shop, and like even the airport security have got like minion phone cases and stuff. So he seeks some refuge in the uh, first class lounge, um, and there's this like high class businessman opposite him, and the guy's wearing a, a fucking minions tie. And he gets so upset with that <laughs> that he, he just he leaves. <laughs> and, I really like the idea. And, uh, and the, uh, he goes to the a fast food place instead of hanging oh, out. Oh, so hmm? I thought I thought where you were going with this when he was on the plane was 
it was going to look out in the, <laughs> the wing. There's a minion on the side of the plane. There's a minion on the wing. That would have been brilliant. Now he goes to the fast food place. Uh, they're giving away Despicable Me toys. A parent and child are holding up the queue because they've been given a Gru instead of a minion and the kid doesn't want that. So he, that really upsets him. <laughs> and he's had it. Um, and he, he just, thankfully, the, the plane's boarding. So he just goes and gets on the plane. Uh, on board, there's minions all over the onboard entertainment system. They're showing the minion movie and a minions cartoon series just on a loop, and so he's he's he just can't get away. Is from there it. a min- is there a minions cartoon series? Seems like there um, should be. There's a series of short films, but I don't think there's a series. But I might be. You probably don't want to cheapen the brand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You were being really complimentary about her about <laughs> 20 minutes ago. But they have put that fucking yellow thing on everything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. It's like it's like what it was like to live through Simpsons mania in like the early <laughs> 90s. Just all over again. Yellow mm. people on everything. Uh, anyway, we, we carry on this way for much of the film. Uh, it seems like the minions are just reaching increasingly horrific levels of commerce. Everything in every shop has a minion on it. Every TV show is being replaced with minion minion remakes. Uh, like Frasier, there's a Minions Frasier coming out now. Which is all, all, <laughs> it's, just, it's just the original audio, but like Minions animated over the top, and and, and they've like garbled up the the audio recordings of Kelsey Grammer. So instead of going, oh damn, it's like, dude, all we did, like. Um, all the songs in the chart are now sung by Minions. No escaping them. Um, so at the at the Saturday Night Live recording, uh, Steve is ambushed by a sketch involving the Lonely Island dressed up as minions. And uh, <laughs> after the show, he goes to visit <laughs> he goes to visit Andy Samberg in his dressing room just to say hi. Uh, but Samberg's still head to toe dressed up as a minion, which uh, which makes Steve laugh. But then he kind of, you know, voices his distaste for the things in a kind of jokey way. He just sort of goes, ah, oh, you know, to be honest, I don't really like them that much. Um, but it, it completely backfires <laughs> as, as Samberg just becomes inexplicably violent. Um, and in this blind rage, <laughs> he just starts smashing things and screaming and Steve has to rush away. Uh, so he gets into a taxi uh, to take him home from the airport uh, on his way home. Um, and the taxi driver asks him how he cut his forehead and he, he, he laughs and just sort of says, oh yeah, I, I told Andy Samberg that uh, I think the minions are being overused but I, I'm not that into them and he got really angry <laughs> and the taxi driver just goes like emotionless and cold um, but I love the minion he says and Steve is terrified <laughs> the minion are love, the minion are life and in a, in a split second Carell realises that he has to get out of there and he jumps from the taxi moments before it seemingly on purpose veers off the road and, and into a tree. Um, <laughs> and he, he staggers home injured to, to find his family and take them to safety. Everyone he passes loves the minion and it terrifies him. Uh, he gets home and he starts to pack his bags manically. Steve, what's wrong? Pack your bags, Nancy, we've got to go. What? Where? <laughs> Why? I can't explain. We need to leave now. Uh, okay. Wake the kids and, and get them to pack too. We'll, we'll have to go to the holiday home so that I can just figure out what's happening. And uh, they leave in Steve's car, packed like to the brim with their things. Dad, I'm tired. 
This is important. We have to go. Why? Because. <laughs> then he hears a minion noise repeating, and a, a chill goes down his spine, and he turns to see. Banana. His... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Uh, yeah. He turns to <laughs> see like his you're son. Doing a chill down Steve Carell's neck. <laughs> I liked that. Ooh. Uh, he turns to see his son uh, playing Minion Mayhem on the 3DS, and he he, s- oh no. <laughs> he slams on the brakes and, and throws it out the window, and they drive on. Dad, why did you do that? We'll get you another one. You don't need it now. Here, watch a movie or something. <laughs> and he, he, he forces uh, a tablet into the kid's hands, and they boot up Star Wars The Force Awakens. Uh, the car zooms on. A good hour's pass, but then Steve catches sight of something on the screen. It's this hideous, realistic rendering of a minion. Maz Kanata. <laughs> no, the minions. They've even <laughs> infiltrated Star Wars. And uh, it's enough to distract him. Uh, so that when he turns back, he's about to hit a strange-looking cat. And he swerves, tipping the car <laughs> upside down. Uh, they all check that everyone's okay. They are. Steve, what happened? Did you see that? What? That, that, that yellow cat. Steve... And uh, so anyway, they, they're marching on, and uh, their home that they're heading to, this holiday home, it's just a few more miles from here, so so not long now. Uh, the early morning light's beginning to break, and they make their way into some woods. Come on, it's, it's just on the other side of the woods, he says to his, his family as they trudge through the undergrowth. Uh, Nancy Carell and the kids fall slightly behind Steve. She uh, she tells them that she's worried about him and they shouldn't spend any time with him with without her there as well because she she starts to question his his sanity um, so she's going to look for a way to get a doctor or someone to come and visit them and then off in the distance me want banana get down <laughs> dad <laughs> quiet banana boopy doop doop and uh, a group of five men walk past as, as Steve and his family are ducking down in a bush. The men are in bright yellow face paint and wearing bright blue swimming goggles and dungarees. And uh, Nancy sees that something strange really is happening. Oh my god. I know. They carry on. There it is. Bidou, bidou. The house is surrounded by minions. They see them. Run. They run back into the woods, pursued by minion people. Normal minions, mime minions, cowboy minions, minions with empty mugs that want a cup of morning mud, coffee, whatever they call it. (laughs) (laughs) We are minion, for we are many, they chant. They're eventually able to to shake them as they hide in a a small cave that's in the, uh, the undergrowth. Yeah, I know where we can go. Uh, Steve Coogan has a place near here too. Maybe <laughs> maybe he'll be able to shed some light on what's happening. They make their way to his home and, and Steve Carell climbs over his high walls and makes his way to the front door. He knocks and Steve answers. Steve? Steve, I'm so pleased to see you. Have, have you seen what's happening with the minions? Steve Coogan goes dead-eyed and emotionless. His mouth opens <laughs> wide and he lifts his arm to point at Carell. <laughs> 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 he turns to run around but he's surrounded by the other minions they begin to move towards him menacingly then Corel has a thought hey minions it's me Gru I command you to do my bidding and they stop in their tracks yes I uh I want to take over the world uh, I want you to help me 
and the minions lift him up and begin a procession with their master Gru. Then as they carry him, he sees his wife and kids in the crude minion face paint. They've joined the ranks (laughs) of the minions. No. No. No! (laughs) The minions turn angry as his cover is blown. The minions turn violent. The last thing he sees is a sea of yellow hands as the the screen fades to black. Or perhaps... Perhaps uh, the screen fades to yellow. A little bit of direct. Well, they all, wear, they all wear gloves. They wear black gloves. <laughs> uh, but then, then we pick up in a hospital as, as Steve comes oh. to. He's in a hospital bed with a drip feed and everything. He hears normal voices in the corridor. Oh, thank God! It, it was it was all a dream. He must have just been in a in a taxi crash or something, and and uh, he hallucinated everything. So he he clambers out of bed and makes his way to a mirror. Uh, but then, as he looks back. Um, he, he's covered in bandages like that Twilight Zone episode and he, he, he peels them off and uh, underneath the bandages it's a fully formed CGI minion poorly stitched together over his body um, it looks like the minions gave him some sort of experimental surgery to uh, turn him into an animated being and induct him into their minion group he screams and a procession of other fully formed CGI minions enter the room. Bobadoo, Bobadoo, Bobadoo. <laughs> he, he runs outside and it's basically like the end of uh, Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes where everything is an ape but everything is now a CGI minion. Uh, Mount Rushmore is minions. That, that thing of uh, Abe Lincoln is minions. They're, they're everywhere. And uh, that's the end of the film. <laughs> ah. Oh, I, I, I enjoyed that minions. very much. <laughs> I liked that. We haven't really touched on that awkward um, TV moment. Steve Carell did go on the Ellen DeGeneres show dressed as Gru. <laughs> as Gru. It was really weird, wasn't it's it? It's my favourite, favourite thing. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. uh, do, you know what, do you know what occurred to me then, uh, Sol? Uh, I, I remember thinking when I was watching all the Minions uh, that they did a good job of doing this kind of gibberish speak with lots of little foreign words and things like that and funny accents so without really doing a funny foreign accent that sounded racist. Yeah. You didn't achieve that. <laughs> you just sounded like you were doing... Oh, baba, ding, ding, bum, bum, bum. <laughs> that was... I, I was quite impressed by the Minions, actually, because just, there, there, were, there were times when it was just... I was just like, this is getting a bit Middle Eastern, and then, oh, no, wait, here we go, it's going French. Oh, it's like, the change well, just enough they, that you never yeah, quite... They are largely yeah, voiced well by two Frenchmen, so I don't know what yeah. that factors into it, and a, and a New Helps. Zealander in the original film as well. And the guy the guy who does it, uh, Pierre Coffey, I read this thing that said, his mother's Indonesian, and so there's a few Indonesian words in there as well. Mm. So, um, I think that helps if you've, got a, if you've got a wide range of languages to just drop things in. So, it's, it's probably just his accent, to be honest. Yeah. It's probably just how he speaks. That would be good if he's, that's how he's directing the film. You know what I really liked in the Minion movie? is when they, they all had to put on a trench coat and pretend to be a, a human being. <laughs> That's one of my, no, yeah. my favourite clichés, and I was just thinking how great it would be if uh, if it turned out Pierre Coffin was actually just three minions in a trench coat <laughs> directing, <laughs> directing feature films. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. They're not real. Sh- 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 shall I go ahead with, uh, with mine? Uh... Yeah, yeah, Calvin, what's your pitch for a a, a minion okay. despicable me follow up? 
Well, I'm coming at this from uh, the slapstick side of things. So obviously these are slapstick, you know, silent slapstick um, comedy characters. When Chaplin had his day with the silent films and it was getting a bit old hat and all that kind of stuff, what did he do? He went political with it and uh, tried to say something <laughs> oh about the God. state of the world at the moment. The great dictator starring minions. <laughs> so <laughs> that would be what we're going to do. Donald Minion. No, no, no. We're gonna have. We're gonna start with. Um, we're gonna open in Syria, and there's a minion. Already, I'm nervous. <laughs> there's a minion who is a uh, a gay barber like my- from <laughs> from from Chechnya, and he's in Syria. And he's fighting the good fight on behalf of the Russian side. Good, good fight is in terms of like what he perceives himself doing, not what I personally perceive it as. I don't, it, it's not a good thing by my standards. Um, anyway, so he's fighting um, in this thing, and we we have some slapstick <laughs> comedies where he's, he's like he's trying to load up. Away. Sorry, he's <laughs> my own joke. <laughs> Much like The Great Dictator, which starred Charlie Chaplin, we're going to open with uh, this minion helping fight his side's fight, but he, he's trying to, like, put, you know, missiles in things, and it's missing, and, uh, you know, it goes falling the other side, and he blows someone up, and it's like, you know, a lot of slapstick in that. Um, but he actually ends up saving, accidentally, the life of a wounded pilot, and then uh, is concussed, and has to go and stay in a in a... Uh, a home for a, a couple of decades, um, after which he manages to escape and goes back to his old life, which is in Chechnya, for he is a gay barber working in Chechnya. Now, at the same time, there is a minion that looks exactly like him, who is also who, who is also Vladimir Putin, who is in <laughs> charge of Russia. So we have it plays out like you know the, how the Great Dictator does, where. Um, the uh, the politician minion is um, you know having these political uh, battles and stuff with uh, neighboring countries and whatnot, and then the gay barber minion is facing prejudice and stuff. But the wounded pilot that he saved in the uh, in the prelude, uh, you know, comes and comes good and helps him get out of situations. He meets a woman. Oh no, he doesn't. He meets a bloke. Sorry. <laughs> and, uh, he meets another boy minion who he likes, and they electron te- to, heteronormativity know. just spilling out there. <laughs> anyway, uh, my film plays out pretty much like The Great Dictator does And eventually the pair switch The gay barber and Putin And you know like how the end of The Great Dictator Ends with Charlie Chaplin giving that really powerful speech It's that bit in Minionese? Uh, no, actually, I just want to do that powerful speech That's the first time that the Minion's going to talk And he's going to talk very eloquently very beautifully, and just sum up the state of the world and prejudice and all that sort of thing. You're going to do that class, that that overused joke where um, he takes to the podium and goes, "Me, my number, pardon me." Ooh. Anyway, <laughs> yes, we're definitely doing that. Okay. <laughs> and we're going to end is- with you know the the soul of man has gi- has been given wings, and at last he is beginning to fly. He is flying into the rainbow, into the light of hope, into the future, the glorious future that belongs to you, to me, and to all. To of you, us. to me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that is oh, I don't want to... the best puncturing of <laughs> pomposity I've ever. Heard. I don't want to. I don't want to go into the Chocolate Brothers too much because I'm worried that'll 
That'll be a death sentence for them. Every time we talk we'll about be doing like an, an episode elderly celebrity them. and do impressions <laughs> of them, they, they end up dying before the episode comes out. <laughs> anyway, Alan, Alan, what's your pitch? Are you, you going to take... Okay. I, no, can I so, guess? Can, can we predict that? <laughs> you certainly can. Go on. Okay, so... Gru has... This is a very Alan pitch. Gru so has a, a good chance. Gru has a midlife oh crisis. He realises that he, like having kids was thrust upon him by outside forces, but it's not what he ever wanted to do. He always wanted to pursue his own um, villainy, um, you know, working with other people, but not tied down by, you know, relationships and what have you. And the minions were always there as a kind of surrogate relationship anyway. They were, you know, more casual friends that he'd hang out with, but he didn't take it home at night. He didn't, you know. So... uh... Does one of the kids die of cholera? (laughs) (laughs) I think I think it just opens with like he's getting a he's, did he marry that Lucy like yeah, yeah right they're getting a divorce she's taking the kids with him <laughs> but he's but he's secretly happy about it but he doesn't want to let it on and and because uh, now he's he's free to be himself again and and really just like do a bit of soul searching and figure out what he wants from life his mum dies. So she's no longer like pointing him in in the direction that she wants him to go. So he really is free to be his own man. But then he's still got all these minion things um, that look up to him, and he realizes he's practically got like a hundred plus kids anyway, dependent on him. Um, and he he just gets on a rocket ship and just flies into space because he's had enough of it, and he just goes to get a get away from it all and. He, he no, finds... no, no, no. This, this is Alan. There would be no rocket ship. There'd be like, I don't know. He'd probably <laughs> right, just, just like, a car. Just go to his shed at the back. Of the go to the York, <laughs> go to the Yorkshire Dales. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. He goes off to the Yorkshire Dales and uh, just to find himself. And there's no Wi-Fi or anything. And when he's there, he meets a, a gruff Yorkshireman, uh, voiced by Vince Vaughn, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, this this gruff Yorkshireman, he's he's old and decrepit. He's a shepherd actually, and he he looks after sheep. And, and Gru sees a, a similarity between him and the minions and the shepherd and his sheep. And he he sort of connects with this old guy and and and, and the bond he has with his sheep, which is very, you know, he, he he cares for the sheep, but not really. You know, sheep are always falling in a in a in a stream and drowning, and it's not like he goes and <laughs> saves them. <laughs> um, uh, what's, your, what's your emotional resolution? No, just at the well. That that's it. He has he has a moment of clarity, and then he goes back and he cages the minions and just starts like harvesting them and selling minion burgers <laughs> for their wool. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I ran out of steam near the end, but I think I think that's pretty spot on, really. <clears throat> no. Um. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, you're on the right lines though. <laughs> okay, so my uh, my pitch. Uh, first of all, we need to set up the main emotional storyline that's going to run through it. That is, Doctor Nefario. Um, he's got cancer, uh, and he's dying. So because he's spent his whole life creating crazy inventions and potions and things like that, he's got no money to speak of. He can't afford healthcare. So, oh god, <laughs> here we go again. So, Gru and the wife, they're helping him out as much as they can. They're going to put money into his healthcare. But this means they're having to tighten their belts 
uh, uh, they can't take the kids out to fun fairs and all that sort of shit anymore. <laughs> so the kids, they don't know about the sick old man. They've not been told. So they just think their parents are being tight, uh, being dicks to them. So, uh, uh, so that's your sort of that's your first storyline. So then, running concurrently with that storyline, we've got Gru. Now he's a good guy. He's working with the anti-villain league, whatever they were called, um, along with the wife. He starts to get no more about what's going on in the villain world. Uh, we could have like a, a montage of them capturing bad guys and, and all that sort of thing. Then he finds out about this secret uh, filing cabinet. Uh, he's not allowed to see it. Um, so obviously he, he decides he wants to. He sneaks in and he finds a dossier in there about a guy called uh, Dr. Mangle. <laughs> okay, so it turns out <clears throat> Dr. Mangle is the head of a pharmaceutical company and he patents important medical treatments and then charges exorbitant fees for people to use them. Now... Gru's been told he's not to do anything about this, he's not, he's not involved with this case, but he takes it upon himself to expose this villainous behaviour. So this is the action bit where he has to find proof of this bad guy doing bad things. Um, and so, he, you know, that's your action bit, your comedy bit, your slapstick bit. Uh, so then he, he, he gathers evidence, he takes it back to his bosses, uh, but uh, but they, they refuse to do anything about it. They stop snooping around. This has nothing to do with you. Keep your mouth shut. So he senses something, he senses something is wrong. Uh, so he goes rogue. He, he anonymously delivers all this evidence to a journalist, uh, some major newspaper. And the journalist publishes it all. It's a big expose. Dr. Mangle is arrested. And there's a huge publicity about it. Hmm. So back to the girls. They've decided that they're going to do whatever they want even if the parents won't pay for it. So they're going to run away. They soon find themselves lost on the street. Now, before Gru and the wife can find them, they, they get found by a clown uh, named Uncle Walter, who says they can stay with him if they help him with his magic act. Kids love magic, right? And Un- Uncle Walter, he takes a particular liking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Uncle Walter, he takes a particular liking to... Uh, the middle one of the kids. Oh god! And he starts to tell her. <laughs> really scared. <laughs> he's telling her that she has a special skill for magic, oh. and oh, uh, no. he wants to show her all his special magic tricks. But he can only show her, and it has to be their little secret. Oh no! <laughs> oh stop! I want to get off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought mine was gonna be the darkest one. <laughs> Don't worry. Okay. So, the other two, they sense that something's wrong here. Uh, they run back home for help. Gru and the wife, they come to the rescue. They turn up just in time, burst open the door, boom. And they're there. We see the scene. Uncle Walter, he's in. He's um, He's got the, the girl inside a box. He's about to cut her in half with a chainsaw. Uh, she's screaming. She's terrified. Gru comes in. He rescues her. And she seems okay. Uh, like they've got there just in time, but she's she's not wearing her hat. Okay, now this this is just a metaphor for her having been exposed or violated in some way. But but we get <laughs> oh. <laughs> but we we I very much want to get the impression that he's got there just in time, but she's been sort of like uh, she's been uh, tarnished by this experience, but not uh, damaged. Aww. Okay, <clears throat> now we have. An emotional moment here. Gru, he admits to the girls what's been going on. You know, Dr. Nefario is sick. 
So they go and visit him in the hospital. And now they understand why they've had to make sacrifices for the good of their kindly old surrogate grandfather figure or whatever he's supposed to be in the family. Uh, But just uh, while they're at the hospital, a TV news report comes on and they overhear it saying that Dr. Mangle has been released. He's been acquitted of all charges because the journalist who exposed him killed himself, leaving a note saying he'd faked the whole story. (gasps) So, Gru knows this isn't true. He's outraged. He goes back to the anti-villain league. He demands to know what's going on. And then it's slowly explained to him that Dr. Mangle is the biggest single contributor to the party funds of the incumbent president. And the anti-villain league... They're a government-sanctioned body. They're, they're an arm of the government. So they have to leave certain people alone. That's the way the, wor- that's the, way the world works. But Gru stands by his principles. He quits, walks away. He has to take temporary employment um, as a hotel concierge. He can no longer afford the medical care for Nefario. As soon as the money runs out, Nefario is dumped out of hospital. The family take him in. The minions give him palliative care. I forgot about until the he finally... fucking minions. <laughs> yeah, I, I did as well. I a minute. <laughs> the minions give him palliative care until he finally succumbs to his illness and dies. At the funeral, the head of the anti-villain league, he comes and he says to Gru, look, you can have your job back, but you just need to know what the limits are. You need to do what you're told. You need to keep your mouth shut. And at first he refuses, but then the undertaker hands him the bill for the funeral and... He numbly agrees. You love expensive funerals. (laughs) Have you you been stung by a funeral bill? (laughs) I've never had to pay for a funeral. um, And probably never will. (laughs) So, no. (laughs) But, you know, it's just one of those things that... (laughs) But anyway, yeah, so then, uh, you know, we just have a little montage at the end of the film where we see Gru living out the rest of his days, just numbly living life. Is it over the top uh, of th- a new Pharrell Williams song? <laughs> uh, I think R.E.M. Bit of R.E.M. on there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's it. So, so I was trying to continue the idea of a social message uh, to know your place and just to do what everyone expects you to do. Just just quickly, like, re- going back to my pitch, remember... Remember Maz, uh, Maz Kanata or whatever she's called from Star Wars? That is a minion, isn't it? Uh, yeah. What's that? Like, why is there a minion in Star Wars? Popular. Just a big minion. It's weird. <laughs> Alan, do you remember what I'm on about? Just just Google Google Maz Kanata, M-A-Z-K-A-N-A-T-A. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a meme. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Diminishing Returns. If you enjoyed the show and want to support us, and please leave a positive review and rating for us on iTunes, and be sure to check out our still kind of new website, www dimreturns.com for more reviews, commentary and discussion from all us hosts on there.